Vincent Werbeck's Derby. If you've got a Bible or a Bible app on your phone, could I invite you to turn to Matthew 28? We do believe that reading this book will change your life. We'd love you to take one if you don't have one at home. Um, And the words will come up on the screen uh, behind me, hopefully. Matthew 28. After the Sabbath, at the dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, he has risen. Just as he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, they will see me. The guards report. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. If you're a guest here, um, my name's Andy and I'm the Associate Minister and it is so good to have you with us. A few years ago, Rachel and I were in the States visiting my dad and uh, we were driving across the Midwest and as we were driving, the clouds began to become really dark and as often happens in the Midwest, a storm broke out and in fact not just a storm, lightning began to happen and then these Many tornadoes appeared. It was pretty scary. And anyway, we continued to drive. And as we drove, we ended up hitting a man with our car. We had to take him to hospital. When he got to hospital, he was treated. He was okay. And we got to know a little bit about him. And we discovered that he was from Asgard. And he wanted to find his hammer. And we discovered his name was Thor. I wonder how many of you believe all of that. Over the last few weeks, I've been listening to a book by Stephen Fry. And it's a book called Mythos. And because I'm not very cultured, I thought I wanted to try and find out about the Greek myths. Um, And so I've been listening to him, which has been really exciting. But I wonder how many people outside of this building, if you were to meet them in the streets of Derby, would say that... Or they would say, actually, no, it's just like the Greek myths. It's kind of just, it's legend. It maybe tells us something good, but it's not literally true. And yet, we here are in the season of Easter. So last week, someone's got a whole bunch of eggs. And we celebrate a man who 2,000 years ago was hung on a cross, was laid in a tomb, and three days later 
was raised from the dead. When I used to work in pensions, I had the privilege of getting some of the Christians who worked there in several different offices together to pray. You could sometimes discover them because they might be singing a Christian song in the lift, or you might kind of see, you know, they might be reading the Bible on the train, or, you know, you kind of found out who the Christians were, which was quite exciting. And we used to get together and we used to pray for the company, we used to pray God's blessing on our kind of co-workers, we used to pray God's blessing on our deadlines, all of that stuff. And one of the ladies that used to come and do this in one of the offices, she, she went to a church which was quite small, and sadly, well, there wasn't very much life in it. And she would say to me, Andy, every year I really wrestle with Easter, because it comes around, and I ask myself this question, is it really true? And I'm not sure how much I really believe it. And so... If you're here this morning and you're new to this God stuff, if you're new to church and you're sort of sitting on the fence going, do you know what, I like church, I like the coffee, I kind of like the welcome we get, there's some lovely people on the doors, I like the singing, but I'm not sure I can really believe a guy come back from the dead. I want to acknowledge that it is a really big claim. And if you take it out of its context, it sounds like my story about Thor or it sounds like mythos with Stephen Fry telling the Greek myths. But actually, St. Paul says... If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. When some of us are preaching, some of you might think that anyway. But actually, so is your faith. He's saying if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, this whole thing is a waste of time. You can pack up and go and do something else on a Sunday morning, which is more enjoyable. It's a waste of time. So I'm going to look at two things this morning, and we're going to rattle through them quite quickly. So if you've got a phone and you're a person that likes to make notes, do that, because we're going to look at the evidence for the resurrection, and then we're going to look at why it matters. But before we jump in, I just want to remind us, all of us believe things as a result of our experiences, our upbringing, our culture, and I want you to honestly ask yourself, if you're skeptical about the resurrection... Are there reasons why you might actually want to not believe Christians are a bunch of hypocrites? Well, if that's the case, I want to say sorry this morning, because sometimes we are, but it doesn't affect whether Jesus rose from the dead. If you perhaps don't like some of the church's teaching, you think, oh, I don't really like that. It doesn't affect whether Jesus rose from the dead. So I want you to kind of just think, are there reasons you might have for not wanting to believe this to be true? And then as much as you can, let's look at this with an open mind. So we're going to rattle through four things in terms of evidence. It's a picture of one of the places where they think might have been the tomb where Jesus was raised from the dead. It may not be. There's kind of questions around it. It's in Israel. I got the privilege of going there a few years ago. Um, and if you look carefully, you can see one of my mates inside. But um, it wasn't Jesus. And in fact, just incredible, the tomb is empty. And other Gospels tell us they went in. And they saw the grave clothes, the, the valuable things laying there. But it was empty. Matthew tells us that actually the Jews had to try and find a, a, a reason to explain the empty tomb. They didn't say Jesus didn't die. They didn't say um, anything else. They, they acknowledged that Jesus was dead. They acknowledged he was put in the tomb, but they had this problem of the empty tomb. And so what they come up against it is they say, well, actually, they just stopped this and people stole the body. And Matthew says this story was still being told when he wrote it down a little while later. So this was kind of a rumour that was circulating about why the empty tomb was there. A number of years ago, I think I've told you this before, but I had the privilege of going to Moscow. A friend of mine won a, a competition to go there. And mausoleum, um, it's a very odd kind of black triangle thing. And it's where you've got a pickled body of a Russian dictator laying in a kind of a, I don't know, a big fish tank really, pickled, with a tomb with bones in it 
where Jesus' body is. There are shrines to all kinds of holy and important people all over the world that you can go to and visit. You can't do that with a tomb with Jesus' bones in it today. The tomb was empty. No shrine ever developed in that way for Jesus. So we need to ask our question, what other reasons could there be that the tomb was empty? And if you go down those kind of thought processes, none of them really seem to hold water. Okay, the tomb's empty. The second piece of evidence is Jesus appeared to people. And lots has been made about this over the years. But women were the ones who saw Jesus first. Now, to us, that's fine because we're all into equality. And, and, but sadly, in that age when Jesus lived, a woman's testimony was not considered valid. They just didn't... In fact, they, people used to take the mick out of Christians. They'd say, oh, well, you know, it, it, you're just a bunch of kind of... Uh, you know, you're a church full of women. That's not, we don't believe that. So the only reason you would write women into the stories wouldn't be to convince people, but you would write them in because it was true. You'd write it in because it was true. Again, there's a lack of interpretation in the stories. Leading up to Jesus' death, there's lots of things, this happened to fulfill the scriptures, this happened to fulfill the scriptures. When you come to the bit about Jesus' resurrection, in the story we just read, Matthew doesn't say that. He simply lays out an account of what happened. If you read much later accounts, you have lots of weirdness going on with talking crosses walking out of the tomb. You don't have that in this. It's just an account of what happened with an angel sitting there and the tomb is empty and the women saw it. There's no kind of theological, major theological interpretation going on there. What other things we've got going on with the appearances? Well, the Jews, many of them were expecting resurrection at the end of the age. They're expecting everybody to be raised from the dead. And... Um, but they were not expecting a person to be raised from the dead in the middle of history. In Daniel 12, it talks about the kind of people that would be raised as going a bit Yoda-like in Star Wars, all kind of glowy around them. They certainly weren't expecting somebody to appear looking normal. And here we have Jesus appearing to the women. They grasp his feet. They worship him. We're told that they were fearful and overjoyed. They can't quite make sense of what's going on. Sometimes people think, well, maybe they're just having a hallucination. But loads of people saw them. You don't get mass hallucinations. Maybe sometimes people say they so wanted it to happen that they kind of thought it was going to happen, they thought it was going to happen, and they just believed it did happen. Psychologically, that doesn't make sense. Wanting it to happen to believing it did happen. It doesn't work like that. These guys, psychologically, were not expecting him to rise from the dead. So we've got the empty tomb, we've got the appearances of Jesus, and going together, I feel like David Brent doing that, if any of you ever watched The Office. But they're evidence for the resurrection. Thirdly, what else have we got? We've got the growth of the early church. We've got a picture of St. Paul. There you go, isn't that a beautiful picture of St. Paul? But who fled, apart from the women, to people that were amazed and believed that Jesus was alive, and then many went to suffer and die for their faith. You wouldn't suffer and die for something you knew to be a lie. Sometimes I was sitting in the barbers a few weeks ago, well, a few months ago, and he's always come up with reasons why he thinks it's not true. He's like, oh, they just did it for the power. There was no power involved in following Jesus in the early days. In fact, you were likely to go to your death if you said that, at the very least be tortured. You wouldn't do that for a lie. The early church started in the very city where Jesus was crucified. They knew Jesus had died. Very difficult to try and convince people that somebody's risen from the dead if there's a body knocking around in a tomb nearby. They knew what happened, and yet that's where the church started. This is one we might understand a little bit as well. I don't know if any of you have ever been in churches where you've tried to move a notice board or put a notice board up. 
I don't know if you've ever tried to move a service time of your services from 10 o'clock to 10.15. People get very passionate about very small things related to worship. These were Jewish men and women who from the beginning, kind of their relationship with the God of the Bible, had worshipped God on the Sabbath. Because it was the seventh day, it was the day that God rested. And then he said, remember that I brought you out of Egypt, the seventh day remembering and kind of going back. That's when they worship God. And suddenly these people go from worshipping on the Sabbath to worshipping on the first day of the week. This isn't just putting up a notice board. This is a complete reconfiguration of their worshipping life together. And it's because Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. And finally, a number of the early Christians were not followers of Jesus. Well, most of them actually as it went on. But those early ones were not followers of Jesus in, their, in his lifetime. His brother James. I mean, it'd be quite hard to think that your brother is the son of God, existing before the beginning of time. Something convinced James that Jesus was alive. Paul, whose wonderful picture we have up here, he persecuted Christians. And then something happened that convinced him that Jesus was alive. Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus, and he suddenly goes from persecuting the church to proclaiming the good news about Jesus. The only reason we can come up with for that is that Jesus really is alive and he appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. And then finally, fourth thing, our experiences here. Some of you might be in that. I'm not sure who's here this morning. Over the years, billions of people here and across the world follow the risen Jesus. They have a relationship with the risen Jesus Christ. And a few weeks ago, we had the privilege of baptising people who shared their stories. And I had an email from Craig, and I asked him if I could share this. And we dunked him, and he sent me an email. And he said this. He said, start point. I don't believe the resurrection actually literally happened. But I don't think it matters that much, because I do believe Jesus is the Son of God. Halfway through Alpha... He said, I realise that to be all in, this is really important. And then in brackets, the most important factor. Which now makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable about baptism. Now, which is at the end of Alpha, I went to Alpha last week. I then went to Kingdom Come prayer meeting at HTB. Then I came to church. I finished reading Reason for God by Tim Keller. And I've been reading the Bible a lot. The penny drops that it is capital letters, literally true! Exclamation mark. And we put him underwater and brought him back up again a few weeks ago. Most of us in this room have had an experience of the risen Jesus. And for some of us, hopefully, that just begins to show that it's not irrational. We can't prove it, but it's not irrational to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, second bit. Some of us, we've heard all that stuff before. Why does this matter? And I'm going to rattle through six things. So I said, if you want to make notes on these, just six quick things. The first thing, why does it matter? The resurrection says that Jesus is the Messiah. I don't know if you remember that scene in Monty Python, uh, Life of Brian. You know, he's not the Messiah, he's a very naughty boy. Actually, that's quite close to the truth. There are a lot of would-be Messiahs. He too would have been remembered only as a failed, would-be Messiah. So Jesus is the Messiah. And if Jesus is the Messiah, that means that the Bible is our story. Everybody, Christian or not, lives a story. They have beliefs about how the world began. They have beliefs about how the world ends. They have beliefs about what it means to live the good life. 
But actually, our story becomes the Bible because Jesus is the Messiah and the resurrection shows us that he is the Messiah. Secondly, Jesus is Lord and God. One person said, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. If Jesus rose from the dead, it changes everything, and it shows he's Lord, he's Lord of lords, he's King of kings, it shows that he is God. And the thing is, everybody has a God. The, the writer who sadly passed away a few years ago, he's not a Christian, a guy called uh, David Foster Wallace, said this, there's no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what we worship. So it could be money, it could be power, it could be fame, it could be family, it could be your job, it could be sex, it could be travelling, it could be friends, and none of those are bad things in and of themselves. But when they become the ultimate thing that you live for, they become your God. And the resurrection says that Jesus is both Lord and God. And he's the one who deserves our worship. Thirdly, Jesus is victorious over death. And as I look out over the congregation this morning, for some of you, I'm quite old. And for some of you, I'm not so old. But over my years, I have been to now a lot of funerals. In fact, since I've been ordained as a vicar, I've had the privilege and the challenge of taking a bunch of funerals. Some for strangers that I've never met and some for friends who I did. And actually, everybody in this room, and I don't want to sound bleak, but it's true, is going to die. Every one of us is going to face death one day. But the resurrection is, shows that Jesus is victorious over death. I don't know if any of you have ever seen video footage of a fighter jet going through into a sonic boom. I'm a bit of a geek, so I quite like things like that. But actually, the kind of the pressure is building up at the front, and suddenly the fighter jet bursts through the sound barrier, and you get this incredible sonic boom, and there it goes. And Jesus defeating death, that is what happens when he rises from the dead. It's Jesus' sonic boom throughout all of history, over all of time, that death is defeated. He is victorious. And that means if we follow Jesus, we do not have to be afraid of death anymore. Which is a massive claim, and I'm well aware that some of us struggle to really get our heads around that. But Jesus is victorious over death. Fourthly, Jesus is victorious over sin. Everyone needs forgiveness. Every, none of us live up to our own standards. We see that Jesus pays our debt. We see that Jesus stands in our place. We see that Jesus is our sacrifice. We see that Jesus is our example. We see that um, all these things happen. But how do we know that it really worked? How do we know that just the, the cross isn't just some check that Jesus wrote, but then it's going to bounce again? The reason we know that the cross worked is because Jesus rose from the dead. So all of those things, God accepted the sacrifice. Jesus took our place. Jesus paid our debt. Jesus took our judgment. All of those things we know are true because Jesus rose from the dead and therefore we can know forgiveness and freedom. We know the cross worked because Jesus is alive. Fifthly, I say we're rattling through them really quickly. Jesus is the first resurrection from the dead. Everybody wonders what will happen after we die. 
And about 10 years ago, I, I read a book by a guy called Tom Wright called Surprised by Hope. And up until then, I don't think I thought that we literally would sit on clouds with little harps, kind of playing them when we died and went to heaven. But I probably had a more floaty idea of what heaven was like. And then I read this book, Surprised by Hope, and I suddenly realised that actually heaven, it's not about heaven, it's about a new heavens and a new earth, a new physicality, if that makes sense. It's not sitting on clouds playing harps. Because Jesus' resurrection, Jesus had a physical resurrection body, and so will we. St. Paul, and I shouldn't have needed Tom Wright, because the Bible's really clear on it, but somehow I just missed it. Incredible, isn't it? Paul says this, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Jesus' resurrection points forward to our own. And I don't know how many times you've stood here and sung that song by Hillsong, uh, This I Believe, which they kind of ripped off of the creed, which is an ancient thing of what Christians believe from thousands of years ago. But in it, we sing about resurrection when Jesus comes again. And you think, wait a minute, why are we singing about resurrection when Jesus comes again? I thought Jesus was rose from the dead 2,000 years ago. But what, it's because we're not singing about Jesus' resurrection, we're singing about our own bodily resurrection in the future. And there's a bunch of songs we sing about that have that in And so Jesus being raised from the dead means that we can be sure that we one day will be as well if we follow him. Jesus launched God's new creation upon a surprised world. Tom Wright, again, was really helpful. You see, everybody has an idea of what it looks like to live well, what a good life looks like. But Tom Wright explains that actually in the resurrection, God is launching his kind of process of new creation on the world. He says this, it doesn't just point forward to our bodily resurrection, but to the renewal, the redemption, the rebirth of the entire creation. Jesus is the foundation for a renewed way of life in and for the world. A renewed way of life in and for the world. Well, what does that look like? Martin Luther King Jr. once said that the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice. But actually, if you don't believe in the God of the Scriptures, if you don't believe that there's a story, if you don't believe that actually one day God is going to make all things new, why does the moral arc of the universe point towards justice? That's not a kind of a, an evolutionary thing. The strong beating the weak, the strong surviving. Why should the moral arc of the universe bend towards justice? It makes no sense in an atheistic worldview. And so therefore for us, actually we get to be people of this renewed way of life so when we're driving around the Derby ring road and for some reason it's completely blocked and you don't know why I mean some days it's completely freezing you can just zip around it and other days for no same time different day, you know different day of the week it's completely easy to go and you're getting frustrated and you have to kind of drive on and drive off and you've got those two lanes that go off on that one lane that stays on who builds a ring road like that I don't get that Very strange for an outsider to come in and have that. But when you're getting stressed in that, we get to be people of God's new creation in that. When people in the office are getting stressed and there's a deadline approaching and people are effing and blinding and kind of people are throwing things all over the place as they do in offices and things get really stressy, we get to be people of God's new creation, resurrection people in that place. When our deadline for our essay is coming and we need to hand it in and everybody's kind of kicking off and they're saying, oh, I can't do anything else, but I just have to focus on this. We get to be people of peace in a world that's stressed. In our families where things are going crazy and things are really challenging and difficult, 
When we're amongst parts of our city which are deprived and difficult. When we're out in a place which is actually full of anxiety and difficulty and trouble. We get to be resurrection people. And I know for many of us, we struggle with all these things, but we get to be resurrection people because we know how the story ends. Because Jesus was risen from the dead. So why do we think it's true? Because the tomb was empty. Jesus appeared to people. The growth of the early church and the experience of people here. What difference does it make that Jesus is the Messiah? Jesus is Lord and God. Jesus is victorious over death. Jesus is victorious over sin. Jesus is the first resurrection from the dead. And Jesus is the launcher of God's new creation. So how do we respond to it? Well, for some of us here, it may be that actually we've been sitting on the fence for a very long time. I've been thinking, oh, you know, I'm not sure what I think. And today may be the day when actually you say, you know, I want to follow this risen Jesus. Father God, thank you that you love me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. I'm sorry for where I haven't lived for you. Please forgive me. Please come and be Lord and God of my life. And help me to live for you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I encourage you to come and let Emma or myself know. We'd love to pray for you, encourage you um, in continuing your walk with Jesus. For the rest of us, we may have been in lots of services where we've heard that kind of prayer prayed. We've been in missions where we've heard that prayer prayed. But actually the resurrection is such good news for so many reasons. And we skimmed the surface this morning. But actually many of us find it really hard to share this good news with the people that we live amongst. Our family, our friends, our colleagues. It's quite scary to do it. We don't want to put people off. They might ask questions we can't answer. And actually I believe that we need to be filled with boldness and courage to share the good news of Jesus. Both in how we live but also in what we say. We have to give commentary to the way we live or else they might just think we're nice people because we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And so I would love to invite anybody forward. We're going to stand to, to worship in a moment, but I'd love to invite people forward to come and receive prayer for courage for sharing this good news that Jesus is alive. Because actually it's not just about us, it's about God's Holy Spirit working in and through us because he's the one that brings people to faith. We're just the signposts. So if I can invite you to stand. And then I'm going to, if anybody's on the prayer ministry team, you could just come over to my left here. That would be amazing. So you're ready to pray for people. And particularly, if you want to be empowered to share this good news that Jesus is alive, I would encourage you to come forward and to be prayed for. So Holy Spirit, we thank you that Jesus is alive. We thank you the same spirit that raised him from the dead lives in us. And we ask you to come. And I encourage you to close your eyes. We're not going to do anything weird. 
Maybe hold out your hands and we're going to wait. And Father, we ask that you fill us with courage. You fill us with boldness. Father, would you give us confidence in the good news that Jesus is alive.